The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. All right, Disability Law Show, good to have you back for another week. John Scholes here and the lawyer always with us, Martin Willems and Firu Tamarkin, LLP. You can always reach out to Martin on your own time. And that starts with a phone call, 1-855-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. Uh, regarding mental health illness, we got a bunch of questions uh, as far as that's concerned, Martin. I think we'll just uh, we'll dive into that right away. Common reasons for denial of uh, LTD claims, health claims. Number one, speak to this. There's not sufficient evidence. Oh God, how many times have we heard this? There's not sufficient evidence to support a finding of total disability within the meaning of the policy. God, you must hear that 100 times a day. <laughs> that is a true statement, John. Yes. Yeah. So I I know we've discussed this many times and we've spoken about mental health cases many times, but I thought it would be a good time to just do a bit of a refresher because, as you know, in the past, when we've had shows, we've discussed mental health cases and how things have continued to worsen from what I understand when speaking to people with mental health disability claims, how they have been denied. And from what I understand... From even from the insurance company's side, that mental health claims seem to increase. They form the biggest proportion of disability claims in this country, and they've seen a significant increase in those claims being submitted. So going to this question, there's not sufficient evidence to support a finding of total disability within the meaning of the policy. What I often also see in the denial letters would be where the insurance companies would say, we don't see that there's any objective evidence. There's that word, objective evidence in support of the claim. Now, that's another thing that we've discussed at length. And it also is something that they raise with respect to chronic pain, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, and as I say, in mental health cases. So what does that mean? When you go to your doctor and you have been diagnosed with a mental health illness, the doctor is in a position to assess you. So yes, your symptoms are based on self-report. You go to the doctor, you say to the doctor, this is how you're feeling. If you have an anxiety condition or a depression condition, um, the doctor will be in a position to firstly make a diagnosis. And the doctor is not just going to do it the moment that they see you the first time, right? There's going to be some time in between visits, depending on how severe it is, of course that the doctor may say, well, this is the condition. These are the restrictions and limitations. In other words, when you go to the doctor, you're going to be reporting to the doctor what it is that you're experiencing. These are called restrictions and limitations with symptoms, of course. So if it is a lack of focus, a lack of concentration, you cannot multitask, you cannot comprehend new information, your sleep is interrupted, you have panic attacks, your anxiety manifests itself physically because you have heart palpitations, your palms sweat. Like I said, your heart races. Sometimes people would say to me, my heart races when I get a phone call and it shows the insurance company's uh, a caller ID. Like These are things that you report to your doctor. And when the doctor listens to you, the doctor may also make uh, observations. Because when you look at the clinical records, it would say assessment and objective observations. So the doctor may see that you looked disheveled, you did not bathe, you, you know, didn't, may not have put on makeup that day, your hair doesn't look washed, whatever it may be, or 
you have a low tone of voice, you've got a low affect, you may be teary, you may look extremely anxious. These are observations that doctors make, and they're trained to make these observations and then record those in their notes. So when the insurance company says there's no sufficient evidence, the question is what was submitted? Because when you submit the attending physician statement, which is the document that is completed by the doctor, be it the family doctor or a psychiatrist, it has to detail what your restrictions and limitations are. So I'll use an example, and I've used this many times. If somebody says to the insurance company, I have depression, and that's the only information that is communicated to the insurer, that claim is going to be denied because many people with depression do work. It is, why is it that you cannot work in your occupation because of this illness, this condition? And insurance companies jump on this all the time where they would say, look, oh, we don't have sufficient evidence. We don't understand why it is that you cannot work, even in cases where the doctor has detailed what the restrictions and limitations are. Or they may say there's no objective evidence, as I've said before. Now, objective, what does that mean? Like, is it a medical imaging where you've got a CT scan or an MRI showing that you've got a fractured leg or that you have um, lesions on your spine showing that you may have MS, those are objective findings right. based on objective imaging. But when you have a mental health illness, it's based on your self-report, but also based on what the doctor observes. So when they say things like that, I always scratch my eyes. What, what is it that you're saying? Because your policies don't require that there has to be objective medical evidence. And as we all know, these are based on these conditions. There is no MRI, CT scan, or x-ray that is going to identify, oh, there I see it, there's the mental health illness. It's based on what the doctor, who is a medical professional, based on what that doctor observes. Yes, also based on your self-report, but the doctor's not going to support that this person cannot work if they don't agree with that, and they only will agree with it based on their observations. So I, I take a dim view when they say things like, we don't have these, this objective evidence. But there are cases where the evidence is not enough. I, I, I do understand that when the doctor simply has said, my patient cannot work, they have anxiety. Well, yeah. what does that mean? Again, put it into context. But when we look at these cases in the context of why have they been denied, this is one that I see regularly. And again, the message to anybody is, when you submit your claim, and you have your doctor complete the attending physician statement, have the doctor detail what those restrictions and limitations are, the observations that the doctor has made, the medication that the doctor has prescribed, so that there is sufficient evidence for the person reviewing this claim to understand why it is that you cannot work. If you work as a police officer, and the doctor says, my patient has been diagnosed post-traumatic stress disorder, detail yeah. why we understand what the occupational duties are. So how is it that these restrictions and limitations impact their ability to perform their duties as a police officer? And if the cases are denied in that basis, where they say there's not sufficient evidence, I say, nonsense, and we're going to take, take it on. We're going to make you pay because that's not an appropriate denial. We are talking about common reasons for denial of mental health claims. Number two is this. You're not under any appropriate treatment program for the illness or condition. Like they're judging again. Yes, you're you're so right. They're judging what is happening. Now, why are they doing that and what gives them the right to do that? You look at the policies. These policies are contracts. And many of them will say that you have to be 
under the appropriate, uh, you have to follow an appropriate treatment program. In addition to you have to be seen by a physician on a regular basis. You have to be under the regular care of a physician. So what is appropriate re treatment? And this is something that comes up all the time. When a person is being seen by their family doctor or a psychiatrist or a counselor or a therapist or psychologist, they're following through with what the doctor has been prescribing them as treatment. So I've seen cases where the insurance company has said, well, we see that you're taking uh, a low dose of whatever medication may be, an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety medication, yet your symptoms are completely uncontrolled or your symptoms are so severe. So we don't think that this medication that you're taking or the dosage that you're taking is appropriate for this condition. Now, lots of times these comments, these opinions are made by in-house doctors who haven't had an opportunity to review, assess, or even speak with the person who has made the claim. There may be reasons why the dosage is what it is. There may be reasons why they're not taking this specific medication, which the doctor at the entrance end will want them to take. I've spoken to many people when they would say to me, I'm taking this dosage because if I increase it and I have tried, I have significant side effects that my condition actually may become worse. Or I have tried five different antidepressants and with all of them, I've had side effects. Some have made my condition worse, others have given me new symptoms. So my doctor has prescribed that I do this as a form of treatment. That information is not always available to the insurance company's doctors, yet they feel in a position that they can criticize the doctors who are in the treating capacity giving treatment recommendations to their patients. So it is a very common reason for denial. And again, there are lots of ways to attack those denials. Follow through with your doctor's treatment advice is the message, I suppose. If you see your doctor and the doctor's prescribing that you do something, follow through with that. Yeah. Have a discussion with your doctor if you struggle with um, a medication, if there is side effects, or if you have some adverse response to a specific medication. But for the insurance company, they're going to try and find ways, I suppose. And if you do follow through with your doctor's treatment advice and just make sure that everything is documented, there is a way to dispute what the insurance company is saying. You always listen to your doctor, man. They're the ones who are treating you and your specialist for sure, regardless of the, the pressure you might feel. Uh, there's a couple more exactly. of these I want to discuss, Martin. You know what I mean? Yeah, you got to do it. Common reasons for denial of mental health claims and LTD. Uh, a few more points uh, coming up in that regard, and then we'll get into your emails as well. But you can always phone and talk to Martin and his team anytime, one 855 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca and you can also ask questions anonymously through this website called mydisabilityquestions.com use that whatever you like and they will be answered from there as well we'll continue with more of the disability law show in a moment hang on you're listening to a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. You betcha. Back with the Disability Law Show. Martin Willems is your guy. Always reaching out to Martin's a good plan. Maybe it's just a quick question you have or more of an in-depth situation. You want to uh, have a private, lengthier conversation with Martin or a member of his team. You can do so. Always invited and in fact encouraged to do so. one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. Before we move on to the emails, the common reasons for denial of mental health and LTD claims. 
point number three, similar to point number two. Now, number two, we left off with you're not under any appropriate treatment program for illness or condition. Number three relates to it says you're not being seen by an appropriate specialist, psychiatrist, or doctor. How about that one? You know, I, I, I've seen this before, and uh, I mean, it, it sounds silly when you read it that way, but it, it, it actually does happen. Um, there's the real world that we all live in with a very, very, very vulnerable, if I, I suppose there's yeah. another word to use for this, but the medical system isn't great, right? We, we know that people, there's a doctor's shortage, that there are people without doctors, that there are very, very long wait lists for people to get into see specialists. And that may be the case here as well. So I've seen cases where the insurance company will say, well, you've been seeing your doctor now for a year, or two years or whatever it may be and your condition hasn't been improving you've been doing this you've been taking the medications that your doctor has prescribed but we think that you should have been referred to a psychiatrist therefore we don't think that you're under the appropriate treatment now there's a lot to be said about that firstly i speak to so many people who struggle to get a doctor in the first place because they don't have a family physician because of the shortage. And for the ones that do, they don't always get in to see their doctors on a regular basis because the doctors may be too busy. For the ones that do get in, it is difficult. If there is a, a recommendation made that you have to see a psychiatrist, there's going to be a long wait list. And I speak to people about this on a very regular basis. And they get frustrated as well. A doctor isn't just going to refer you to a psychiatrist from the get-go, depending on, obviously, the severity of the condition. So for insurance companies to say, we think that you should be under the care of a psychiatrist in the context of the real world that we all live in, I don't think it's appropriate. And further, for people who go on wait lists, their doctor actually has to uh, refer them to somebody like a psychiatrist. The policy requires that you be under the regular care of a physician. Your family doctor is a physician, right? So as long as you see the doctor regularly, and if there is a worsening in your condition and you have been tried on various medications and there is no improvement, your doctor is likely going to refer you to someone. So it's not a bad idea, right, to have the discussion with your doctor if things are not getting better. You say, well, should I not be referred to a psychiatrist? And the doctor likely will agree and then at least be put on the wait list. So if an insurance company says you're not being treated by an appropriate specialist, you could at least say, look, my doctor has referred me to somebody and I'm on the wait list. I see this happen, as I say, very, very regularly. It's easy to from, you know, a completely different vantage point, yeah. sit there and criticize people as to what they have to do and what they should do when they're struggling with their mental health, they're struggling to get care under a broken medical system and trying to get in to see doctors whom they should be seeing. Yet they are still struggling with trying to get insurance companies to accept their benefits or their claim to pay them benefits. So with that being said, the message again, as with each point is, See your doctor regularly and have discussions with your doctor, if you can, about potential referrals to other specialists if your condition is not improving. 
We're moving right on. Martin's your guy to reach out, by the way, when the show's not on, one 821 5900 Common reasons for denied mental health LTD claims. Number four, if the disability is due to uh, substance use, you are not in an inpatient treatment program. Is that right? I didn't know that. So this is, a t- this is obviously not appropriate to everyone, but I've seen this over the years in some cases. And it, these are difficult situations to navigate. Somebody may have a substance use disorder, right? So that is a recognized psychiatric illness. And it's difficult. I mean, just the nature of the condition. Somebody has been diagnosed with substance use disorder, so it may be due to alcohol. It may be due to other substances. And they often relapse because this is part of the mental health illness. And lots of these policies do provide that if your disability is due to a substance use disorder, that you have to be in a specific treatment program. And some of them do require that it has to be with an inpatient treatment program. Now, again, in the real world, it's not that easy. These inpatient treatment programs often are quite expensive. I have seen cases where the insurance companies have funded those, like paying ten to $20,000 to have somebody attend and enroll in such a program. And the focus of that is obviously to assist them. So that's commendable, right? To assist them to get better so that they can get back into the workplace. But I've also seen cases where if the person, you know, if you have to use that word, falls off the wagon, that it's used against them immediately. Um, But that's part of the condition, right? I've had people who work with me who feel extremely passionate about these cases when you criticize somebody, and I understand why, and I feel the same, why somebody gets penalized for the symptoms of their condition. So it's easy, again, to criticize, this is what you should do, and this is what you should not do. But when the person actually falls off the wagon, or they have a relapse, mm-hmm. then, and they're not in the specific program, then the claims get denied. These are very difficult cases, as I said, to navigate, but I have seen this um, the year I'm not going to say, well, you need to make sure that you are in an inpatient treatment program, but again, be in touch with your doctor to make sure that you are referred to appropriate facilities if that is the case. And if the insurance company does deny your claim on this basis, really, this is a point where you have to have a discussion with a lawyer who specializes or deals with disability claims. Uh, it's also another issue with that because sometimes you have substance abuse disorders which run parallel with other comorbid issues, like there may be a depressive disorder. So then it is what is really causing the disability here because the disability itself as depression is also a disabling condition. So when they deny it on the one basis, are they also denied on the other basis? From their perspective, they're just not gonna pay benefits. So there are ways to attack these denials. There are ways to deal with these contractual provisions. And we deal with that on a regular, regular basis. So if they do deny your claim based on any of these, I suggest that you reach out to us because we will, and I say this every time, we will review the policy with you. We will review your circumstances with you and the denial letter so that you, and then we discuss with you what your options are and how to navigate this denial so you can make an informed decision. I say this so often when I finish, and everybody else on my team, when we finish speaking to people about their options, they do feel some relief. Yep. It doesn't necessarily fix the issue, but at least they have a way forward and they can decide how to proceed. 
we often get involved with cases by filing a legal claim where we take over all communications with the insurance company and the person can then focus on their treatment so that we can focus on getting them a settlement. Got one more of these, and we say the the best for last. So the one we probably talked about more than any of these when it comes to uh, being denied for mental health claims, and that is disability due to a pre-existing condition. They love to unbox that one. <laughs> you know, I I think this week alone I've spoken to about four or five people who That's have been denied exactly. due to pre-existing conditions. Yeah. Um, and, and if there's somebody else out there listening to this on a weekly basis, they're probably thinking, well, you keep speaking about this, but it is important to speak about this because once you're in this position where you've submitted a claim to an insurance company because you have what is called you have a mental health illness and the insurance company turns around and says well no this is a pre-existing condition we're not going to pay you it is extremely stressful and people don't know how to manage that so i'm going to take some time now to try and step by step explain how this works the policy is a contract. The contract has provisions. Basically, all group policies have what is called a pre-existing condition exclusion. They all have different ways of defining what a pre-existing condition is. But the gist of it is, is if you have had, if you start work with a new company and you have coverage on day one and you go off work within the first year, in other words, within the first 365 days of having that coverage, that triggers an opportunity for the insurance company to investigate whether your disability is directly or indirectly related to a pre-existing condition. If it is, then the insurance company is going to deny your claim and say that it is a excluded disability. So the question is, really what is a pre-existing condition if i say to you i've had depression all my life on and off in layman's terms in everyday terms that is a pre-existing condition but under the terms of a contract a disability policy not necessarily so we have to know what is the definition for pre-existing condition and it may be that the policy will say if you had treatment in other words, medical care, or you were seeing a doctor, or you were taking prescription medication for a condition that is directly or indirectly related to the disability during the 90 days before you had coverage. That's what some of them do provide. Then it's pre-existing. So if you had gone off work in January of 2023, and you have had an issue with depression three years ago, and you were taking some medications, and then it got better, and now you go off again because of a depression, um, because of depression. That's not pre-existing under the terms of the policy. So we have to know what it is. What does the pre-existing condition exclusion provide for? What is the time frame that we are looking at? And what is the actual definition? Some may say if you've had symptoms that you should have seen a doctor for. Others will say, have you been treated by a physician? Whereas a therapist and a psychologist is not necessarily a physician. So there are lots of moving parts when we look at these pre-existing conditions. Another one may be that a person may have had treatment for anxiety during that pre-existing window. In other words, during those 90 days. But then later on, they're diagnosed with depression. Now, these two are similar, but they're not the same. 
insurance company may say, well, we're going to deny your claim because we see your symptoms as due to anxiety, not depression, when it is a depression that is a disabling illness. So there are lots of ways to approach these cases. In some instances, it is a pre-existing condition and then we cannot assist. But in many others, there may be an argument that can be made that it is not a pre-existing condition. So if your claim has been denied, and it's not limited to mental health illnesses, if your claim has been denied by an insurance company where they say, we believe it is pre-existing and therefore you are not going to be paid, I know people feel overwhelmed. Don't feel intimidated. There is an option to contact us and we can give you a free consultation and review the circumstances with you. And we will give you an opinion, at least based on the information that we have seen, whether there is an arguable claim to make, whether it is a pre-existing condition or whether it is not. And if it is not, we should be able to assist by filing a legal claim. And uh, we'll take a short break. So, uh, pal, good stuff. We'll get into this pile of email that's been building up as soon as we uh, we come back. In the meantime, you can always send one along as well. The email is help at disabilityrights.ca. To skip that and talk to uh, Martin or a member of his team on the phone, one 821 5900 We'll continue with more of the Disability Law Show. Stand by. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. You bet. We're back. Disability Law Show. Loving it. Martin Willems is your guy. Anytime when the show is not on, you can use that phone number, one 821 5900 You can actually call it anytime you'd like. There's a, a team of people, and you can always leave a message or send an email as well. Help at disabilityrights.ca. And if you want short, concise snippets of LTD knowledge, we'll call it ltdfaq.ca is free and anonymous. ltdfaq.ca. Uh, you can go right there. Okay, first email says, Martin, I'm not well enough to work in any capacity, but I missed the deadline to apply for LTD by a long, long time. I may have to go back to work. Assuming I have to go back to work because I cannot get LTD, how long would I have to be back at work to qualify for LTD again? I may have to go back even though I won't survive it just to get coverage for the long term. Wow, what do you think, pal? I think that's an interesting case, and in reading that, it just reminded me of this, what we discussed before the break with respect to disabilities that are pre-existing conditions. Yeah. Because this may be deemed to, if this person does follow through with this, they're asking how long should they be back at work for before they can qualify for LTD. Um, there's a lot to be said about this, but let's start with this. They say, I'm not well enough to work in any capacity, but I missed the deadline to apply for LTD by a long, long time. I may have to go back to work. So Mm -hmm. if you are disabled, I don't understand why the application was not made, but there's more information to be shared here. Let's assume that it wasn't made because that's what my understanding is. It depends on how long. They say very, very long, but it depends on how long that application has been outstanding. First thing is, I want to know, did the person have coverage? at the time when they went off work. If they did, and they've been continuously disabled and continuously seeing a doctor, there is an opportunity to still apply for long-term disability with the existing employer, their Mm -hmm. insurance company. Because, yes, there are notice provisions that would say you have to apply or provide notice probably within 30 days of becoming disabled and proof of claim within 90 days of becoming disabled. 
And it may also say that we will not consider any claim for which you provide proof more than one year after you've been off work. But in the legal sphere, in what we do, if there is a good reason why the person did not apply, and there must be a good reason, because why would somebody not apply if they had the coverage? They knew about the coverage. They were not being paid. So I'm sure that there is a good reason why this happened. Then there are certain legal principles that one can argue as to why this person should be forgiven for not having filed the claim within time. So that's one option, is submit that claim immediately and see what the insurance company does with it. And if they deny it, you know what to do. You contact us and we will review the situation with you. I have represented, and I know other people in my firm have also represented people who have applied late for LTD outside of the contractual provisions for example there may be somebody who had a workplace injury didn't apply for long-term disability because they understood that they didn't need to because worksafe was paying them benefits even more right. than long-term would have paid they carry on and the employer never told them to apply for ltd and they within the knowledge that they had because they don't deal with this on a regular basis sure carried on with worksafe and WorkSafe paid them for 18 months. Then WorkSafe denies the claim. The person then is still not able to return to work and goes to the employer and says, well, this is what they have said. I cannot work. What should I do? Then the, insurance, the employer tells them, oh, but you can apply for LTD. They do. The insurance company turns around and says, no, you should have applied way back when. Yeah. Now, based on the contract, that may be true. But there's something called relief against forfeiture, which forfeiture, is an equitable yeah. principle in law which allows people to be relieved from forfeiting, giving up their rights, if there is a compelling reason as to why they did not follow through with the contractual timelines. So again, I've seen this many, many times, others in my firm have as well, and we've helped people who have applied late. Go to the second part, let's go to the second part of the question where it says, assuming I have to go to work how long do I have to be at work for before I can qualify again? Well, it depends, I suppose, on what you mean by that, or going back to work, because the insurance company might say, well, if this is the only reason why you're going back to work, then you're not disabled, right? If you're wow. able to carry on and work, then there is no disability. It, and it may sound harsh when you put it that way. It depends, though, if the person goes back to work and continues to struggle or they try to work in a different capacity. But when I speak about when I mentioned this reminds me of the previous question when before we had the break, if you do go back to work and your coverage starts anew, in other words, let's say you go back to work December the 1st and it's to the same employer and they reactivate your coverage and your coverage starts again on December the 1st. Right. If you go off work within the first year, and it's due to the same issue as you've had before, and you've been treated during what is called the pre-existing window, you very likely will be looking at a denial based on a pre-existing condition. So these are general comments because I don't know what the actual facts are, but these are the things that jump out at me immediately. So number one, immediately apply for LTD benefits under the policy that you already had, even though it is late. If they deny, you speak to us. If you do go back to work and there is coverage in place, you want to make sure that you do not get denied based on the pre-existing condition, which means then 
if you go off work within the first year of having coverage and it is directly or indirectly related to this condition, and it sounds like it will be, you may face a, de a denial based on a pre-existing condition. Now, of course, if you work for more than a year, then you may not have that problem. Yeah, it's a little. It could be a little daunting, I guess, for people. But I guess if you just got to go in and, and and dive in, if you go back to work and then you get back on the coverage, I mean, just work your way through and get, use your medical team. I guess if it's if you truly believe it's not because of a pre-existing condition, right? Yeah, it, it really does depend on the circumstances here. But I think, yeah. that, honestly, I think the best way to proceed here is to immediately apply because you're not working at this point. That's right. And the person clearly from what I read, is not able to go back to work and may feel forced to return to work because of financial necessity, right? right. I, I understand people are struggling. So the easiest thing to do maybe is to first apply to the LTD insurer and see what they do. They may accept this term, and if they don't, reach out to us because, again, if there is a valid reason, a sufficient reason to explain why this was done late, depends on how late, there may still be a claim to pursue. And with that, we'll get into another quick break. You guys, more of your emails. Thank you so much if you've sent one along. If we get to it in the remainder of the hour, if not, uh, we'll stash it, and it'll probably be on the next show for sure. And that address is help at disabilityrights.ca, help at disabilityrights.ca. And the phone number to reach out to Martin and his team, 1-855-821-5900. Stick with us, short break, and back with more of the Disability Law Show. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Yes, Disability Law Show, a few minutes to go. Thank you so much for tuning in again on this particular show. Martin Willems is always available after the show is done and during through email help at disabilityrights.ca. And phone number 1-855-821-5900 is how you get a hold of Martin and his team. Okay, next email says, guys, do I have to go to the therapy that the insurance company wants to send me to, or can I stay with my medical therapy and specialists? I guess their own, right, Martin? Yes, that's what this question is about. And again, John, you know we've had this question before. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. It is, I suppose it also goes into what I was saying earlier this morning when we were speaking about mental health illnesses. Uh, does the person who's making the claim, do they have to follow through with the treatment that the insurance company wants them to send to? Now, is it the same treatment? Because it really depends on the circumstances here. The insurance company can say, we need you to follow through with appropriate treatment. And who makes that decision? So I would say, first thing you do is go and have a discussion with your doctor. And when this person says, stay with my medical therapy and specialist, it says to me that there are more than one doctor involved here. So if it is a family physician, if you've got some specialist, if it's mental health, psychiatrist, whomever it may be, if the insurance company is criticizing your treatment, have your doctors weigh in. Because it may be, for example, I've seen this happen before, where a person has just built up a good rapport and trust with a therapist with whom they're getting treatment from, like a psychologist. And it is in terms of their mental health because lots, and I understand this, everybody would probably feel this way. These are very personal circumstances. Some people may have a lot of trauma. It's difficult to trust somebody. So they're building up a relationship with their therapist 
or their psychologist and they're just getting comfortable with things and starting to share more and maybe maybe getting into the gist of the treatment then the insurance company steps in and say well no we, we don't think this is appropriate it doesn't seem that you're getting real improvement yet we're going to send you to one of our specialists which all treatment providers which may be a psychologist as well and the goal there is work hardening and after the 10 sessions it is a return to work goal oriented treatment program where the psychologist the treating psychologist or the treating psychiatrist may weigh in and say no 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 this is not appropriate this person is going to need significant treatment they've just started to open up we don't think that's going to be a good outcome they may regress if you put them in a situation like that so it's a general response to this question but it really depends on what is going on how long have you been with your treatment providers has there not been any improvement do your doctors agree that you should be seeing different specialists or different treatment providers generally the the, the response may be no because you may be appropriately being treated it's a different situation if you say i cannot afford physiotherapy or psychological counseling because my benefit is small and this is extra cost where the insurance company would say okay well we're going to fund this which which is okay because then you're going to follow through and you have somebody paying for it whereas you're seeing a person for treatment and the insurance company steps in and says no we think you should be doing this because we don't feel that you are recovering fast enough then i think you get the doctors to weigh in and explain why it is that this treatment is appropriate and you should not be following through with the insurance company's treatment providers now they may still say to you well our policy allows us to put you in an approved rehabilitation program but why should you if you are following through with your doctors and it is appropriate i don't believe the insurance company has the right to then weigh in and say well we're going to change your treatment it may actually result in a worsening of your condition yeah. if that happens you reach out and you speak to us Let's get to one more here. It says, uh, Martin, what are my rights on LTD after a required psych evaluation as far as recommended treatment goes? Similar, right? Similar. So uh, what I understand from this question is this. You've attended what is called an independent medical examination with a psychiatrist. What that means is the insurance company send you to a doctor for an assessment, and that doctor has now written a report mm -hmm. and yep. has maybe made some recommendations quite often people would say to me well i don't have a copy of that report and the insurance company says saying i have to do with these things the insurance company may not want to give you a copy of that report but they should give you a copy of the report to your doctor to your treating doctor so what you do is the following if you have seen a specialist required by the insurance company so a psychiatrist you go for an independent medical examination you say to the insurance company please send that report to my doctor then you go have a visit with your doctor and discuss the findings of that report. And you discuss with your doctor whether if there is a treatment recommendation made in that report, whether it is appropriate for your condition. Quite often in cases like these, there would already be a treating psychiatrist in place. I've seen this happen before where the insurance company will send the person to a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. And then the treating psychiatrist reviews the report, and they may agree. They may say, okay, well, yes, this is not a bad idea. We'll, we'll add this. Give it a shot. Yeah. Or we'll up this dosage. But they may also not agree. 
the person who did the independent medical examination may not be aware of your history. Go back to what I was saying this morning. Mm -hmm. They may not be understanding that you've tried five different medications before and you had serious side effects. So that's why your treating psychiatrist would say, I disagree. This person should not be taking any of these medications because it has the potential of worsening their condition, exacerbating the condition, and that they may be disabled for a longer period of time and that the prognosis actually does get worse. So what are your rights? Have a discussion with your doctor. If your doctor disagrees, have the doctor put it in writing to the insurance yeah. company. And if they still insist, my advice always, follow your doctor's advice. You should not be put in a position where you're forced to do something treatment-wise which your doctors do not approve of. That is a good way to wrap up this hour, my friend. Nicely done. If uh, you have emails or things have come to mind, you want to ask Martin a couple different ways you can do that. Email, like I just said, help at disabilityrights.ca. You have the option as well of mydisabilityquestions.com. That website's neat because it's uh, it's free, of course. Obviously, it's anonymous and it's searchable, so maybe your questions come up in the past, mydisabilityquestions.com. And then finally, the phone number. That's usually the way you, uh, you start this conversation, right? one 855 821 5900 one And that'll do it. We'll catch you next time right here on the Disability Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.